Hello, hello, hello. This is Sophia, and you are listening to another episode of Soft Shock Podcast. So on today's episode, Kamika and I talked with Lisa. Lisa is a recent graduate of the New School, and we talked about a lot of things. So we talked about her senior thesis project, which explored activism and social media. We talked about blackness in the black diaspora. We talked about modeling. We talked about her upbringing in places like Italy and so many other fascinating topics. So without further ado, here is the episode. Well, thank you so much for being on. I know that when we started our podcast, I was like, I want to talk to different Black creatives and Black activists. And I was going on Instagram looking for people and I, and I just stumbled across your page. But I'm like, oh, I want to talk to you because you seem like you have an interesting experience that would be cool to talk about on the podcast. So now we, we finally get to talk to you. Um, and I thought to start things off, we would just jump into the heavy, deep topics. So could you tell us a little bit about your senior thesis? Yeah, so I just presented it at my school. I go to Parsons. Um, so it was a two semester long project. The first semester I did a bunch of research and this semester was focused on making like a design intervention or some sort of product or some like tangible thing. And so I started off by studying interactions in urban places like New York, like public interactions and social patterns. Um, but of course that got completely interrupted because of COVID. So how am I supposed to study interactions in public is that is literally not a thing anymore. So that was great, um, caused an identity crisis. But <laughs> as time went on, um, I kind of realized that um, it was impossible to study social patterns and interaction, especially during a pandemic without talking about like systemic inequalities because it's not separate from everyday life. There's no way to separate that. Um, and so I started looking into how um, people living in cities can create support systems to support each other through hard times. And I was very, very inspired by how like Black Lives Matter was using social media to organize um, and how little ind independent projects were being started to like donate to bail funds and things like that. And so I ended up moving from studying like mutual aid groups into trying to find a way to get creatives to get together to collaborate on projects that act as like volunteering. And so my whole question was, what does it mean to volunteer? Because we're seeing people who are making like Black Lives Matter masks or like necklaces and selling them on Depop for like $15 and then donating that $15. Like that sounds like volunteering to me. And so um, my whole project revolved around how to reimagine activism in a modern time where social media is like really at the front lines of a movement. Yeah. From that, so you kind of talk about how Black Lives Matter and the pandemic obviously drastically changed your approach to it. Um, but would you say initially, I guess, prior to George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, did you have a different perspective on social media as a tool of activism? Well, I guess there's such a large discourse about um, how social media can be problematic. And I started to really make it a point to just use it as a source of inspiration and focus mostly on my art. So I made a separate account for my art um, and for design stuff, followed only designers, followed only um, 
things that inspired me. And then slowly I noticed that my followers started shifting towards people who are creating like informational graphics as well. Cause like those were so shareable and were such a big part of the movement online. Like people are so much more likely to share an informational post. It's kind of sad, but they are, they're more likely to share it if it's like aesthetically pleasing. And so that was also like a big part of my thesis, like thinking about how design and like social media strategy is not something that organi like volunteer organizations are directly looking for, but it's something that could directly benefit them in such a huge way. That is so true because I know this past summer, everyone wanted, or not everyone, but if people were going to post, they would post something that, you know, fit their aesthetic. And from that and from, you know, it, you're kind of touching on how it's kind of, you know, like a trend, but really like, you know, for your platform, it fits the mold. And now in December, after having presented your thesis, um, what do you think about like how like we kind of saw all this momentum in the summer and now it's kind of dipped back, you know? So what do you think about that? I think kind of in all aspects when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to fighting racism, I feel like everyone has just, well, understandably for a lot of people, but it's, it's not as much of a trend anymore. So we don't see that as much. And I really hope that um, maybe as the pandemic gets a little bit less scary and a little bit less anxiety inducing that we can see a lot more of a push, especially with the shift in presidency. I'm really hoping that there's a continued collective push for change. Going off of that, so I guess I'm just curious to know how your thesis was received, you know, be it at Parsons, but then also just being in New York City and how, you know, people just responded to your thesis. Yeah, so um, one of the more interesting questions that I got was um, highlighting like the difference between volunteerism and like activism and how there's already a precedent set for like black black owned businesses or BIPOC or black creatives specifically, all creatives, but especially BIPOC to not be paid for their work. And so they were saying like, it might set a troubling precedent if the only products that are being highlighted with your thesis, um, because the final project was essentially like a website catalog of a bunch of independent projects that are creative ways of being active online. Um, she was saying that she was worried that only including products where all the proceeds were donated was continuing to add to that precedent where people aren't getting paid. And she was wondering how that that product product could also um, direct people towards small businesses or black owned businesses so that we're amplifying the creators without expecting them to do free labor, basically. And so that was a really good feedback point. And I think that um, I should also keep in mind, not everyone has the time, space or capacity to volunteer. No, I agree. I think that especially right now, Black people, I can't speak for all Black people, obviously, but you might feel this push to, you know, be transparent and stick up for your identity, but at what loss? Because, you know, even like little things like you're doing free labor, like maybe it's in a classroom, it's not your job to have to teach people, or it's not your job to have to create all of these educational posts, even though the burden tends to fall on you. And I think that it's interesting that your thesis like really touched on something that was so pertinent to everyone. I guess another question I have, so like you're from Italy, right? Um, yeah. So 
how would you say like from this past summer were you in New York or Italy when this was happening or just curious like where you were like um just I was in I was in Italy for most of the summer because mm. how would you so say, I was seeing everything from the outside because mm. that's interesting because how would you say that during that time because initially so we're from Minneapolis so we saw like this kind of you know start small and then you know become a national thing and then international so how was it for you to see Italy like you know I saw like Italy had Black Lives Matter protests and how was it to see like Italian social media where people posting infographics or not really or just what was that like for you? You know it was kind of interesting because I would see one thing on the news so on the news like on the tv um they had a much more I don't want to say inclusive but just like more accepting discourse that like they were describing the protesting in a more accepting way like not really being hard on rioting as I might have expected I guess I don't know why that was what I had expected but it was and it was interesting to see it from the an Italian side I even had a girl who was living in Italy um, message me because she was saying that she's not really seeing any resources in Italian and she was trying to work with me to like create some posts that um, could be translated and so I didn't really have the time because of my schoolwork and so all I all I could really do was direct her to a bunch of English resources and then I said I can help her if she needs but I don't have the capacity for this right now kind of touching on what we talked about before um, and even in my home, in the town where my parents were living at the time, I didn't see any protests, but I saw one girl sitting on the beach with a sign and the sign said, um, don't try to tell me that racism doesn't exist in Italy because it does. And that she just had her little sign. And then I kept seeing like older men going up to her and kind of trying to read the sign. It was also kind of small text, so I can understand that too. But she would just kind of like look downwards whenever anyone came up to her. And I didn't, I couldn't sit down with her because because of the pandemic, my family. And so I just kind of went like at her and she went like at me like with a little tiny little fist. And I was just like, so cute. It was just such a nice moment. Yeah, so I have a question going off of that. I feel like people in the United States are like, at least people I interact with will be like, like, especially around the election, they're like, I'm just going to move abroad. Like, I just want to go to like Europe or like somewhere else. And like, obviously, I didn't grow up in Italy. But like, I think like anyone who's taken a history course knows that any European country is not exempt from the racism, the colonialism, like, you know, all of the horrors that is like colonization. So I guess like, I would like to know what your thoughts are on like Italy's state of like, you know, like what it does it mean to be black in Italy? Well, you know, I kind of, so I'm not fully Italian. I'm half Italian, half Somali. My mom is originally Somali, but obviously now she's Italian and she grew up moving around a lot because she is the daughter of Somali diplomats. Um, and I was born in Abu Dhabi, so I lived there for like five years, then I did most of my growing up in Dubai, so a lot of my formative years were spent in a British school in Dubai, and I feel like I didn't really understand what my relationship with race was at the time. Um, I remember distinctly um, that it just wasn't considered pretty, like it would the standard of pretty was like straightened straightened hair pale skin and just 
I was not considered pretty. And, you know, I think about this all the time because there's this one guy, he was this blonde British guy and he was the most popular kid, you know how it goes. And we were sitting in um, design and technology class. And I remember he sat across the table with me and he was talking to his friends and he openly, completely openly just said like, oh no, I would never date a black girl. And I had a huge crush on him. And it's like, he didn't even see me at the table with them. And I just remember that moment will stick with me forever. And to him, it was just a passing comment. And like, you sometimes don't think about like how small moments of just like casual statements, like stick with a person for so long. All I ever wanted to do was straighten my hair. There was a certain point in my life where I tried not to stay in, in the sun. And I lived in Dubai. Like, how, how am I supposed to stay out of the sun? Like, I, it took me a while to accept it. And there was another girl. She was British Pakistani, I think. And she went to school with me. This is like middle school, um, elementary and middle school. Um, and she was the first person I ever met. And that's insane. Cause I was like seven or no, I don't even know how old you are in middle school. <laughs> but, um, she was like one of the first people I ever met who was like, I don't know. I just think the darker, the better. I want to go tan too. And she was tanning with all her white friends. And I thought that was so groundbreaking, which it wasn't. And it's just kind of crazy to think about, um, different upbringings and different standards of beauty and how that carry you carry that with you for the rest of your life yeah no I think that's one theme that we're definitely seeing a lot is sadly like a lot of young black kids especially black girls like there's the same pattern of like oh like you don't feel beautiful and not just because you like see it from representation but you literally hear it from people and how damaging that can be so I guess kind of now like what is it like for you when growing up you have kind of this adverse idea of beauty and you don't see yourself as it but now like you're a model as well so what is it like to almost kind of see yourself changing the narrative perhaps like you're seeing you're allowing you know black girls to see themselves so what's that been like for you it's kind of interesting navigating being because I am biracial so it's interesting navigating that and like how that relates to my blackness in the modeling industry because when I first got scouted, I was 13 years old. And I remember at the time and in my first few experiences with modeling, I was always with my mom. Um, but I remember we had a meeting with the president of the agency that scouted me. And he was talking about how I was in a tricky spot because they only really hire very pale girls or very, very dark girls. And even then it's like a few very dark girls. So I was kind of in, an, in a spot in the middle where it was like, I wasn't getting picked. I wasn't getting casted at all. And that was in the summer of 2016. I did my first season in Milan over the summer. And then shift to now, suddenly being racially ambiguous is like trendy. And it's, it's just so strange to think of race as a trend. And because of that, I'm directly, like I'm directly benefiting from that by like literal money, literal jobs. And it's just, it's so strange to think about. And then even then, um, like, I'm, I'm mixed. And then even then they're calling me like the only ethnic girl who was casted or like I tried to cancel a job one time because it got booked over a class I had. And my agent was like, oh, like they really want you. They're really excited. They made a special outfit for you because you're the only ethnic girl on the job. And it's just like, oh, I have some stories to tell when it comes to modeling and navigating race. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Like, for example, one time um, I did a, like a presentation. It was like an internal show. They were putting together the outfits. And this is a well-known designer. This is a big designer. And I was in their Milan office. And this was during the pandemic. So we were on Zoom with New York or their American office. I'm not sure. I just assumed New York. And whenever it was conversations among the people in Milan, they would call me by my name. And like, I worked there for like two weeks straight. This is at the end of two weeks straight working there every single day for more than full days. And then whenever I was on the call, there was one like boss lady there and she would only ever refer to me as the black girl. So rude, it, it honestly made me feel, it was so dehumanizing and like, whenever I was conversing with the people who were working in the office, fine, call me Lisa. But then as soon as that woman was on the call, it was always the black girl, the black girl, the black girl. And then I think they also just forget sometimes that I speak Italian. And so they would just say, just so rude. And I don't think they even realize the implications of me standing there being measured, being stripped, like as a model, it's already like I'm a mannequin. And then on top of that, they're not even calling me by my name. Yeah, I mean that I'm so sorry you have to go through that like that sounds like you know like when you're a child you're going through this when you're older you're still going through this it's like and people love to talk about how post racial we are and stuff like that like we are so accepting like and I feel like to an extent like black women are like I'm gonna say it like I feel like they're trendy right now like I feel like a lot of white women are loving to do their edges like want big lips like I'm just gonna say it like they want a lot of features and I'm like Ooh. but um going like and I with what you're saying with like being racially ambiguous and it being trendy like I know like I've talked to people about this and like being biracial and like sometimes I'll see videos of like other because I'm also biracial and so I'll see videos of people like making it and like guys will be like you're like the darkest girl I've ever hooked up with and she's like I'm like this color like and so like I feel like when you're being referred to as the black girl like you know what I mean like even we're biracial like we are not like or we are black but like we are not dark-skinned black girls and I feel like with like going into colorism I feel like just like I feel like that can represent like how much like just like backlash like darker skin mm -hmm. black women can face and like I feel like we already have so much like I mean I guess that could be an opinion because like a lot of people have different takes within colorism because like you know um like being a part of two different communities is difficult and like trying to find your place but like yeah I just feel like that's so reflective of like how like a lot of people still view race and it's so disgusting mm -hmm. no I know exactly what you mean when it comes to that and like I moved to the first time I ever moved to America I moved to Miami and it was a quite small fancy fancy private school because they were the only ones who could give us a visa and it was a very last minute move and I just remember at that school like it kind of happened I don't want to say behind the scenes but like it was I couldn't see it happening really but I was being accepted as like a less intimidating form of a black girl and it just it was a very hard transition to make coming from like a Middle Eastern upbringing and European upbringing because there's still racism happening but I would say it's a lot quieter um and when I came to America suddenly it was during it was 2016 it was when Trump was about to be elected and 
I just remember feeling like I was supposed to be up in arms because one of my close friends was um, very activist, like good for her, great for her. But I don't think she realized that I was still trying to understand my own identity. And so people would say something that was offensive and I would just be a bit like, should people say that out loud around here? Like, oh my God. And so I would just kind of be in shock a little bit. And then she would turn to me waiting for me to fight and be the face of all black women everywhere. And I was simply not ready to be that. I was not ready to be that. I didn't even understand what it meant to be black in America at that point. I had just arrived. Like, it's just, I feel like understanding yourself and then understanding the role that you play is just, it's a difficult thing, especially when you're not familiar with the context. Do you mind of me asking, was she white or was she also like a- She, she was, was Latina. Oh, okay. Which I feel like that's also an interesting one because like different people of color, especially when it's like, I don't know. I feel like that can be very like difficult, especially when you're growing into yourself. I feel like it's a difficult period, especially if you're the one facing. Cause like, I feel like if you're white, it's very easy to be like separated and like, you know, stand up for your friends. But I mean, I don't have as much experience with that, but like, I don't know. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That sounds extremely difficult, but. I definitely relate a lot of pressure sorry yeah yeah so have you like so in America you said like people are a lot more overt and did you get here just around the Trump presidency or like when he was being elected yeah Mm -hmm. have you noticed Um, a shift throughout like this election to last election with how people were acting yeah so I think also my place and where I was living changed changed drastically because when he first got elected like I said I was at this school where it was like the children of Trump supporters like the donate the donations Mm. being made to the school were all by very rich very conservative Trump supporters and then now obviously while I live in New York I go to art school like I'm surrounded by a completely different set of people and it's crazy to think back to like I just remember people were laughing at that same girl who was like, she cried when Trump got elected. And obviously now I understand the implications of it. But when I first got there, I was, I was still familiarizing myself with American politics and everyone else, when everyone else is acting so unbothered, like literally an entire school, except for a few people are acting quite unbothered. It's, it's hard to fully understand the weight of it, but obviously now I've been living in America longer. I've been educating myself a little bit more. I understand race a lot more. And obviously I'm older and it's just, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting that your entrance to America was, you know, 2016, when I feel like some might argue that that was almost for non- Black Americans an entrance into seeing more of the, you know, downfalls of American politics in the 21st century and a big wake up call for a lot of people. Um, so from that, how was it for you to be in New York? And what was that like? Because I mean, I think a lot of Black Americans, like we're from the Midwest, and I would say like a lot of Black people who I know who are from the East Coast, like they say like, oh, like it's a lot more welcoming and like you see more black people and stuff so just how was that for you okay so um as i was growing up i definitely was raised and educated 
with the idea that politics can be separate from your everyday life. And I think that was a little bit more true in the past where you could have had very serious professional repercussions if you were saying, you know, edgy or radical things online. But I just, I'm noticing now, like as I'm getting more educated about things and as I'm becoming more confident in my identity and myself, that's just not true anymore. I don't think it's true anymore. Like mm-hmm. we can, it might be true to a certain extent, but we have more power to choose to align ourselves with organizations and with occupations that are in line with our beliefs that we have too. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's not the same environment about being a little bit quiet on social media about what you believe about um, causes that you choose to support. Um, I definitely noticed that as I was living in New York, like the attitudes of sharing certain things on social media in Miami and in my early college career when I was still friends with people who maybe I associated with in different environments versus now where it's almost normal and expected for you to be vocal about causes that you care about online and otherwise. So from that, I guess, We've been asking people on our podcast what the Black diaspora means to them. So what does the Black diaspora mean to you? Well, I think it's also interesting to consider like the literal spread of my family on my mom's side after leaving Somalia, like on my mom's side, it's completely spread out between like Dubai, Canada, like Europe, like they're literally everywhere, like only within my own family. And so that thinking about that on a larger scale when I've already had a hard time connecting to that side of my identity and that side of my culture I can only imagine like a collective of people going through that in the same way and like navigating blackness when you're functioning in a world that isn't in close proximity with you know where you where you come from and um it's just it's been interesting to try kind of come back to that and come back to understanding my identity when my life started in a way where I was almost, I was almost forced to want to put, push that side away from me and away from my own identity. No, I think that that's an interesting point because when we've asked that question, sometimes we'll get more positive responses like, oh, it's, you know, a community, but also like, I think you bring up a good point to remind us, you know, like the diaspora, there's this kind of confusion within it because so many people are displaced and, you know, trying to reaffirm your identity when your identity's been, you know, pushed to the backbone in so many places has some serious consequences for how you view that identity in a positive light. Um, So I guess one thing we've, we've been asking people too is as we're about to, approach 2021 what are some resolutions that you hope to bring into the new year Hmm. I feel like I've had a lot of growth within this past year or two just with identity and confidence and really choosing wisely who I want to keep into my life Um, and I guess I just want to continue to be selective with who I give my time to, what activities I give my time to, what jobs I give my time to, um, because I noticed that um, turning turning things down, turning opportunities down is just as powerful as just going with it because you wanna please people. So I guess I just wanna be protective of myself, my energy, my time, continue to do that into the new year. 
I really like that. I think that's so powerful. Honestly, until you said that, I haven't really thought about how powerful it can be to turn things down and like how much also that like kind of reminds you of the autonomy you have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like sometimes like maybe you are looking for something you're like, you know, I would like something to pick up the pace or like, I would like to do something. But I think sometimes it's good to center yourself and really focus on like, what am I bringing into my life? Like, what am I spending my energy on? And like, is this helping me grow as a person? Or like, am I going to be put in tough situations where like I'm being treated poorly? So no, I really like that. Um, I also have one more question. So as we were talking and like, you were like, I really had to grow grow into my blackness and like learn to love myself. What advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. I think I would advise my younger self to watch more content and more movies, more shows with black girls in it, doing things other than struggling with racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like This morning I saw on Netflix, I can't think of what it's called, but it's like a period piece. And there are black girls in like Victorian dresses. Oh. I don't know if you know what, what I'm talking about. I think I've about. seen it, but I don't remember the title. I, it was like, I'm jet lagged. So it was literally like 4 a.m. I was sitting <laughs> trying to search for something to watch. And I teared up. The male like romantic interest is a black man all in Victorian clothing what the hell? Mm -hmm. Why did I never see that growing up? I teared up. I immediately started texting people like, I'm emotional right now. (laughs) I used to love those shows and those things, but like, I never, I never really saw myself in them. And so I guess I would just advise myself to try to seek out more content like that. And I'm just so happy that it's more accessible to like young black girls going forward. Mm. Well, Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really enjoyed hearing about your experience and I hope that you are able to carry out all your resolutions in the new year. Thank you so much, guys. This is so cool. All right, all right, all right. Well, we are at the end of this episode. I had so much fun talking with Lisa, with Kamika. We learned a lot about, you know, just what identity means and how region or country can really affect your perception of identity. I also really resonated with her advice to her younger self being watch more shows that show a black girl, you know, doing what she wants to do. And I think that that's so powerful because, you know, representation really does matter. When you see someone who looks like you, you know that you can do anything you want to do. So as always, if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to Soft Shock Podcast. We're on all platforms, so you can find this anywhere. And I always say this, but I hope that you all are staying safe, staying sane, and finding some form of self-care that could be cooking, that could be going on a walk, but just something where you are doing something that makes you feel good. So thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, take care. Thank you.